And we're back. I'm sitting here across from my good friend, my brother, my mentor, and uh, he's like a father figure. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Emil Steenveld, emotional intelligence coach, transformational speaker, and just an all-round good dude. So we're going to talk brother. about going to talk about a lot of things on this uh, on this episode i'm quite uncomfortable sitting here because this guy has a reputation for making people cry <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah we're just going to talk about some things first of all um i met you about three years ago now and this is like our third interview which is pretty fascinating mm. and it was just interesting because your your energy struck me as something that I, I want to step into and I felt like the emotional side of life I just had no awareness of like I was just at that point before I met you just going through life very numb to everything and yeah I, it's very fascinating the whole emotional intelligence thing like I'm like I have to learn about emotions I thought I already knew about emotions mm. but I come from a family where we've suppressed our emotions for so long and it's just gotten to the point where now I'm learning about it through you and, of course, my own learning. It, I'm realizing that everything in life is about how you feel. And that's literally all it is. Yeah, man. Emotions, just the word emotion is energy in motion. Mm. So it's like people make decisions based on their emotions. People react based on their emotions. People make they listen to their feelings and it's a good and a bad thing. Yeah. Right? Because I think we should listen to our feelings, but we also should recognize when we're reacting versus responding. Mm. Um, when we are getting triggered and where is the trigger coming from? Right? Our emotions can be such great indicators and it can teach us so much about ourselves if we pay attention to it if we decide that we are not ruled by our emotions and we learn how to emotionally regulate versus, oh my God, I fear having a breakdown or I fear crying in front of people or I fear looking like a fool in front of people. Yeah. And what do we do when those fears come up? We sabotage, we run, we hide, we avoid. Mm. That's, that reminds me of uh, <laughs> the last time I did stand-up. I was freaking out, bro. I couldn't mm. focus. Like, because I hadn't done stand-up for like 10 months. I'd done it before, but this time for some reason, because I don't know, I had new friends there in the, in the audience. I was just not in the zone at all. And I was worried about how I'm perceived. I'm like, oh, fuck. I was getting so anxious. And then you were sitting next to me and you were like, close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because, you know, it's actually harder to actually perform in front of people you know than it is people you don't know. Mm. Did you know that? I didn't know that because on the first time I was super confident and I invited 40 of my friends, you know. But yeah. But what's interesting is that that was the, how, the was it the second time or it third was, time? It was the third time. It was the third time, place, right? Yeah. So what did you do? You worked out, you made an expectation in your mind because the first one went really well. Mm. So because I did really well on the first one, you know, your ego gets a little bit of prop. You get you feel, oh, damn, well, I killed the first one. I'm going to make the second one even better. So then you start to put the expectations on. When you create these expectations, it's like, I have to create, mm. right? And you know what's interesting about expectations and wanting to do better than the last? It's coming from our ego. Naturally, the masculine goes, I've just got to learn more. I, I think this will be funny. And you're trying to control the whole situation. 
Whereas when you went into it the first time, there was no expectation. You're like, I've never done this before. So you almost went into it like with childlike play, fun, allow. Yeah. And then the third time you're like, this has to be better than the first one. Mm. I've invited all these people. All these people are going to come and see me. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Yeah, it's literally that. I created this expectation, which basically caused my unhappiness. Yeah. Because I wasn't, I wasn't really happy about that last set. Like, just all of it wasn't, wasn't joy for me mm. because of the expectation that I had. Yeah, it's fascinating, that. But yeah, I think we're going to explore more of my insecurities on this uh, podcast episode. So I want to <laughs> talk about um, fear, like fear of success. Because you're a coach, you train other coaches to facilitate, um, you know, group coaching. Yeah. Coaching to one to many, right? Mm. Which is one to many is completely different than one to one. And I've only really had experience coaching one to one. Like I've spoken to one to many, but not in a coaching environment, you know? Yeah. So how do you deal with the fear of success as you're coaching? And then we'll, we'll take it to a personal area after that. So how do I deal with fear of success? Yeah. Do you have fear of success? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good question because I think about fear of success. What am I afraid of when I go to each level of my life? Mm. And I always ask myself, what am I avoiding? What am I hiding? Yeah. Um, and that's a really good question to ask yourself to check in, to be like, am I still playing safe here? Mm. Maybe I'm playing bigger than other people, but am I still playing safe compared to what I know I could be doing? Right. Yeah. And yeah, there still is things that come up for myself where it's like, if I go to the next level, am I going to be burnt out? We were talking about this the other night. Will I burn out? Will I be like the clients that I'm actually supporting right now where I can't sleep at night, where I'm playing at such a high level, I'm earning so much money, but I literally need to take a sleeping pill or I need to, I can't relax. And that to me is not rich, Mm. right? It's spiritually broke. So that's definitely a fear of mine, for sure. But fear of success, I've really worked through that to the point where it's like I can, I can, I'm able to receive. But also, I have to keep checking in to making sure: does this still align with my values? Am I doing this for me, or am I doing this for for the the older meal that wanted the external validation, wanted to be seen? Yeah, the external validation is is such my it's. You know, I have such a hard time with that the whole external validation thing because yeah. that's my default. Like I just default go to something outside of myself is going to mm-hmm. make me happy. Yeah. And no matter how many times I hear that happiness is within, I'm like, no, it ain't. It's out there. <laughs> Let me just do a little bit more. Right. And I just have a hard time with that, you know, like just accepting that the happiness is going to come from within. And this part of doing this, this is my happiness. So I, in my mind, I think happiness comes from when I do something. So I have to do something to feel happy. Yeah. That's my belief. Yeah. And it's also a belief that a lot of people do the habit. Once I achieve this, then I will be happy. Yeah. Once I have this money, then I will be happy. Once I have this partner, then I'll be happy. Once I get pregnant, then I'll be happy. Once yeah. I get the ring, then I'll be happy. It, we're constantly looking for outcome-based like goals to solve. And that's how society works. You know, it's like bigger, better, you know get the American dream, mm. bigger, better, right? We've been conditioned 
And it's almost like you see the people at the top that have made it, that have made the money, that have taken their lives to the next level, and then they all say, uh, it's not it. Mm. I'm, not more, I'm not happier now. Yeah. I'm not more fulfilled. In fact, I feel lonelier. You know? So it's, it's, I think it's better to come from identity-based goals. So it's like, who am I now? What's my values? What do I love about this? And why am I doing this? And then create from that place. Come from it instead of going to it. Two different places. Yeah, and that's another thing I want to talk about is the motivation. Because recently I've, I've told you this, I've shared openly with you about the fact that I've just lost my hunger. Yeah. I, I had lost my hunger. I'm coming out of it now. But, you know, I just felt like I just... For example, I was doing coaching. This is another reason why we talk about this. Mm. But I was doing the coaching... coaching uh, in a different space because I was a health coach and then I went into like relationship coaching and stuff yeah. and I was holding space for people that, you know, they they had a lot of emotional issues that they hadn't dealt with and then they're basically, I was just being a container for them to just let out all their emotion and I, I just, I, I heard Oprah Winfrey talk about this. She said that sometimes she feels so intensely the other person's emotions that she gets sick also. Yeah. And I kind of, I didn't get sick but I felt the pressure of that you know and it was interesting because I was thinking to myself I can do this but do I really want to be doing this you know is this this what I want to be doing this is what I want to be doing like I just want to have great conversations with people that I like and you know respect and have good value to share and we talk about meaningful topics and then I was thinking well I don't actually want to be a coach but I felt like I needed to do that to you know to, to achieve my goals. <laughs> well, wh- why did you need to do it? Well, because it's just like the next next thing, you know? It's like the next step in the process that people need help with is coaching. They need one-on-one coaching. And I, and I, I do enjoy it to a point, but it gets to a point where I, I want to do it when I want to do it, not when I, I have to do it. <laughs> yeah, so there's two things that I'm hearing, right? So it's like, how did you get your clients in the first place? And where the clients, what, what is the, who is the ideal client that you want to help and why? Mm. Uh, yeah, so before when I was doing the health coaching, it was uh, anyone aged between 35 and 50 years old who, you know, wanted to fix their health, optimize their health. and wanted yeah. to get back in the gym, get their mojo back because, you know, when they were 18 years old at high school, they had a great time with their life and they were fit and healthy all of a sudden they got a job or they got into being an entrepreneur built a business had wife and kids and now their health is like taking a toll because they prioritized business over their health mm. and so that's basically the avatar that i was targeting and now this time when you were coaching uh then it changed to then i started doing relationship coaching because i was like oh i can help with relationships too and so it was a single guy who his main goal was to make millions of dollars and he was in a relationship, but it wasn't going well and he wanted the relationship to go better. Mm. But the, the conflict was he was focusing so much on his business that he was not, he's just not skilled in that area of life. Relationships is not really in touch with how he feels. So therefore he can't relate to his girlfriend, how she yeah. feels. Yeah. And so I was just helping him navigate that. And then another guy was basically hated the world and had resentments towards his entire family hadn't spoke to his brother for five years. And yeah, so I was helping these kinds of people. And you felt heavy, you said, after you finished the sessions. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I, li- I liked coaching, but then it was, 
I just started feeling like, man, I got a call at two o'clock tomorrow. Oh, fuck, I got a call. Oh, I got a coaching call. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I got, I'm talking with a meal. You know, like, what happened there? It's like, I'm talking to a meal at two o'clock today. It's gonna be great. It wasn't that excitement that yeah. I had. And apart from the first few, I mean, coaching is great, but I just feel like I'm not the person to be doing the coaching. I don't see myself as that either. Like as we're talking now, hmm. I don't. I don't actually. Like I can do it, and I like doing it. But I, I want to choose when I want to do it. Which I don't think there's anything wrong with that, because again, it's about knowing your strengths. And my strength is more so being in the front of the, being in the, in the shop window kind of thing, rather than like the person behind the till. You know, like I, I'm just like, hey, what's up, guys? Like bring everyone in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, coaching's not for everybody. No. Right, it, it takes a lot of patience, it takes presence, it takes empathy, it takes obviously emotional intelligence. To be a good coach, you need to sit with someone literally pouring out their heart, letting go, holding space for that person. Yeah. And not everybody can do it. You know, everybody thinks that you know, it's a great feeling you get when you first get coach or you have that epiphany. Right, mm-hmm. like remember when you first came to one of our events, yeah, and you had this massive epiphany. You know, you had about your relationship with your father, yeah, and love, and mm. you're like, oh my god, everything opened up. That's an amazing feeling. Mm. So then we naturally go, I want to give that to other people, you know. But what comes on the other side of that light is the dark, is the heaviness. How do you move people's emotions? How do you not get pulled into their stories? Because so many of us do. And when you're hearing these stories, it can also trigger something in us sometimes. It can trigger our own traumas. Yes. Right? It can trigger, it can mirror us. Yeah. And so many times you'll have a client, you'll be like, oh my God, this sounds like me. Mm. Oh man, this is, wow, this is, there's no coincidence. And that triggers a story also. When, <laughs> literally when I think that thought, fuck, this guy's experiencing exactly what I experienced. I'm meant to be helping him. I can't say that I experienced exactly what he's experiencing. Therefore, why the fuck is he paying me? <laughs> so you see that how that's interesting, right? Because you're not paid to be a consultant. A consultant tells you what to do. A consultant needs to know everything about everything to do with relationships. A coach is there to question, to listen, to be present, to ask deeper questions so that the client comes up with the answer themselves. Mm-hmm. It's to empower the client. And that's one of the biggest myths in coaching is that so many coaches out there literally will say, I need to know more. I don't know enough. That story, I was in a mastermind in San Diego, my business mentor. And I literally said that. He's like, why, why aren't you helping people get a six pack? And I said, well, I need to know more. He's like, you know enough right now. I was like, no, I need to know more. Mm. And that, that belief was held me back. You know, I was like, I need to know more. But you know what you're doing when you're saying that, right? I need to know more, like this is how I pick up on patterns, right? Translates into, I don't trust myself now to support that client. I'm scared that they're going to think that I'm a phony or I'm not going to know the answer and I'm going to get caught out. So I'm going to try and get as much information to make sure I don't fail because you think you need to get it perfect or right. But when you trust yourself, when you trust yourself as a coach in that space to hold space with someone, it's like, I don't need to be a better basketball player than you. I don't need to know more about politics than you. I don't need to know more about your business in the space, like 
in running your business, I need to know where your emotional blocks are. I need to know how you do one thing. How you how do you deal with your kids? I need to know how you deal with rejection. I need to know if you've actually dealt with forgiveness or you're still holding on to resentment from like 20 years ago. So I know my craft. I stick to my craft. I stay in my lane. But if I'm focusing on him and going, oh my gosh, he's really successful, and I start thinking about how successful he is, then it takes away me, my gifts from myself, in being able to coach him effectively. And that's the ego. The ego is going to look for all the things that you're not. Mm. And it's going to go, hmm, see? Let me prove that right. Let me find things or reasons where I can sabotage and keep you back in because this is really scary. This is sabot- like you're out in the open. You could be exposed. One of the things that people have about, people think about coaching is, oh, anyone can be a coach. You yeah. can just call yourself a coach. So one of the th- uh, there's a mutual friend we have and she asked me, what, what is Emil's credential? I think she asked you this too. She's like, well, what are your credentials? And um, I, th- I find that very fascinating because can you talk about like, what makes someone a coach? Because like, how, how can you become a coach? Do you have to go through training or what's the Yeah, process? I mean, the thing is that with the coaching industry, it's unregulated. Yeah. This is the dangerous part about it. Anyone can say they're a coach. They can put it on their Instagram and say, I'm a coach. I don't believe you need to be have a certificate, but I do believe you need training. I don't believe that because you have a certificate makes you a better coach. So people want results. And if you have experience and you've gone through, like you've run a whole business, you've lost money, you've made money, you know, and you've learned how to structure a business effectively and hire, then you could be a business coach because you've had the experience, right? But if you haven't had the experience and then you go and do a life coaching course and do a certificate and then you say, I'm a business coach, what's more valuable? Who would you go to? So this is where I think people get it misconstrued with the whole thing. Like even when I hear pe- myself, I hear people say I'm a life coach and I go, oh, okay, <laughs> right? And you know, there's so many coaches in such a growing industry. And what makes us, what makes me qualified to do what I've done? I've ha- I mean, I have done so many different courses, experiences. I was a yoga teacher. I've done theater healing, Reiki. I was a yoga, uh, I said yoga teacher. I've done NLP, timeline therapy, hypnotherapy. Um, I did a two-year ICA international coaching course with the ICF, International um, Coaching Federation. But that still doesn't make me a better coach than someone that has had full experience in running a business if I was to say I was a business coach. Depends right. on what I'm teaching and what I'm coaching. Mm-hmm. So it really does depend on like what's your craft and what lane are you in. Mm. It's so many people out there that literally don't have certificates and they're just calling themselves and they're really good at marketing mm. but not necessarily getting results yeah one of my friends he said um he's worried about the fact that if whenever whatever coach he goes with they they don't actually know how to help him because all they focus their efforts on is market, marketing rather than actually being good at their craft yeah well their craft is marketing but they, they're also saying that they're a good coach yeah but it's not necessarily true yeah i'm just getting like i have a marketing team now um, but for years, I never had a marketing team. I focused on my craft. Mm. I focused on becoming better at my craft. How can I get clients' results faster? How can I give them an experience where they don't forget it and they leave feeling transformed? 
you know, when we run events, it's like, how can we create the, the most amazing event where people come for four days and literally come out differently and it sheds so much old resentments and pain and judgments and fears and, and come out with a vision of new possibility. And that's what excites me is the transformation is like, and you saw it when I was coaching on stage, when you see someone on stage and you see how they come up and they're heavy and they start talking about things that they've gone through. And then we, it's like I followed them on this path and I'm like, where was that? Who did that? Where did that come from? And all of a sudden we start shifting it and you see it in real time where people's energy shifts and it moves. That's the most gratifying thing to watch. Yeah, so it's very fascinating watching you live coaching because you can tell that anyone, if you watch him live on, on stage coaching someone, you can tell that he hasn't just called himself a coach yesterday. <laughs> like you, you pick up on the patterns and you're able to go there faster than yeah, yeah anyone I've seen. You know, like you know, you know what to talk about to get them to open up to release whatever they need to release mm. very fast. And that's, that's a skill, you know, that you, that's, you've honed that skill. Yeah. And, like, you know what, pat, how do you know what patterns to pick up on? It, good question. I, I have certain people that I coach. I have avatars. I work with high achievers, high performers. Um, I've worked with businesses. But I look at the traits that what I first started. The reason why I coach those people is because I was a high achiever. I was a um, perfectionist. I was a people pleaser. I didn't know how to set boundaries. So I've picked apart those traits and I've gone, what are all the patterns that a people pleaser has? For example, they can't say no. Um, they are constantly tired. They have built up resentment. They don't know how to communicate their needs. Right? So when a person starts telling me these things, I'm like, oh, that's just a trait of a people pleaser. If they're a perfectionist, I'm like, oh, they keep procrastinating. They keep waiting to get everything perfect before they can start. Oh, they keep making excuses, right? Everything has to look good. They're constantly thinking, they're overthinking things in their head because they're trying to force it. I need it to be the best. Why? Because they lack acceptance for themselves. Because what, a, what is perfectionism? If a, a person's wanting perfection, it's because I get a pro, uh, when I'm striving for perfectionism, I get, hang on, let me say this again. When I'm striving to get something perfect and I do get it perfect, what do I get? Reward. I get reward. I get praise. Approval. I get approval. I get acceptance. So you know what I'm saying? Everything leaves clues. Success leaves clues. Patterns leave clues. These traits leave clues. And because I've been doing it for 11 years, I'm able to pick up on the pattern faster and faster. I'm like, oh, that's connected to that. That's connected to that. Mm. So, so there's these key things like, like perfectionism, people pleasing, and you just, you can you know exactly what symptoms there are. Traits of a high high achiever, um, someone that has low self esteem, someone that's like wanting to be heard but doesn't speak up. Maybe they have problems with their throat chakra. That's clearly someone that doesn't speak up. Someone that doesn't honor their needs. Mm. I, I'm all of those things. You just, <laughs> I know. As I'm talking, you're like, yeah, like the, the people pleaser. Man, I've battled that. I didn't even know I was a people pleaser until I met you. That's the weird. That's the crazy thing. Because I was just like, yeah, I'm just how I am, and I didn't realize that. Man, like, not speaking up when I should speak up. 
like why don't I speak up? Like I felt I needed to do, like I, it's good that I'm doing jujitsu, but the the issue wasn't oh I need to do martial arts. It was I need to just speak up when I feel like something bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> why why you think about it now? Why don't we speak up? Out of fear. Fear of what? Not being accepted. Yeah. Or yeah, just for for me it was like the boundaries, right? Not not speaking up was like. First of all, I don't know how to say it without getting them angry. Yeah. How do I say what I, what's on my mind that bothers me without coming across as angry or or negative or, you know. Mm. So that's exactly right. So usually there's a trigger mm. and the trigger gets you going, oh my God, that really pissed me off. And then in that moment, you're like, I want to say this, but then you get in your head and you're like, oh, but last time I said this a long time ago, she or he reacted a certain way to me and I don't want to trigger that. So it's almost like, oh, I don't know how to say this without, you know, so you're so much in your head. And when your energy is all floaty and it's up here, it's not grounded, mm. right? And remember, like, when we're going to speak to someone about something, it's better to just take a step back and, like, okay, what, what triggered me about that? What, what about that situation made me upset? Let me break it down. Okay, maybe I wasn't being listened to or maybe I wasn't... Um, being respected in a certain way or maybe I was overlooked or you know something like that or maybe I was being excluded it could mean anything but the triggers are ours yeah right the trigger's yours you have yeah. wounds hidden wounds on your body everybody does I do too and the closest people to us are going to trigger them because they're mirrors they're, f they're literally shining big magnifying glass and they're going and sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's unconscious. And our job is to notice it and notice when I'm getting triggered. Oh, I'm noticing I'm getting triggered. And how do you notice when you're getting triggered? Your breath fastens. Your, you get angry. You get agitated or frustrated. Like these are all little things before you get to the point of anger. But you've got to pay attention to those before you get to the point of anger. Because if you're like me, I used to burst and be like, that's it, crack the shit, it's a shit show. Because I wasn't learning how to pick up on the signals before that. And then you have regret later on because you're like, and shame, because I made a big deal out of nothing and maybe she didn't even know that she was annoying me in this way or she didn't know that she was disrespecting because I didn't communicate that. And instead of me expecting her to know, I should have communicated, hey, when you do that, it bothers me. Versus, you should know better. How many of us do that? <laughs> well, that's an expectation, right? Yeah. You should know better means you, sh you should just know. like women do that all the time. <laughs> like you should, you should just know. You should just know me. Like yeah. how, could, how could I thought you knew me? And then just start guilt tripping you. Well, guilt tripping me. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I I can't read your mind. Mm. No one can read anyone's mind. So, also I was just reading a book recently. It's um boundaries book and the, the author was a, a therapist of 14 years and she said 90% of the issues that I experience in my therapy sessions are all a root cause of lack of boundaries yeah and I was like wow that's crazy man that's like so he's telling me almost everything is boundary issue well what is boundary equals self-care yeah so if I have lack of boundaries or I don't have any boundaries I'm telling you that it's okay to treat me a certain way which eventually erodes my self-esteem, my worth, 
who I am as a person. Eventually, either get, I get sick of it, or I either shut down, or I don't feel I can speak up. So, what is a relationship without self-care? If I don't fill my cup, and if I don't love myself, and if I don't care for myself, how am I going to pour that back into your cup?、Mm. So, the boundary is essential in a healthy relationship. And if you are not communicating, and most of the time it's because we can't, we don't understand how to communicate. How do I say to you without offending you? And it's a, it's actually a skill, right? And a pure example, I, I, whenever I'd find a trigger or I'd find something when I'm doing my self development work or my coach is coaching me, I remember calling my dad and being like, "Ah,、oh, shit, I need to talk to my dad about this," you know, because he was part of the, the major triggers that I've had, right? And I would word it like this: I would say, "Hey, dad." I've just been going through this thing with my coach. I've been breaking down some of these triggers, and I just want to open up to you about this. And I want you to understand something first before I even do this. And he's like, "Okay." And I said, "This is not about you. This is about me. This is not about blaming you, but I want to set the intention and I want to speak to you about it because I want to have a deeper connection with you." So you see the way I've worded that.、Mm. I'm setting the intention before I even go in there. Versus, hey, Dad, I just got、um, finished with one of my coaching sessions, and you're the reason why I have an issue with love. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Because you never express love to me, right? So there's there's ways of like <laughs> speaking to your your family with respect and in a, in a loving way because you it's like what's my intention for this in the first place? Why do most of us argue in the first place? Because we want we're not. Arguing because we want to argue. We're arguing because something's not being. There's a lack of connection. We're not being seen by each other.、Mm. We're not giving ourselves time to be seen by each other because we're coming from hurt. Reaction, 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 reaction. Yeah, that's. How do you deal with the anger, that emotion? I teach my clients how to deal with anger with allowing anger.、Mm. How do you? What's your relationship like with anger? Let's do it on you. What's your relationship like with anger? It's terrible. So、Absolutely. what? What happens when you become angry? I just don't say anything. Yeah, and then you. Sh- so what do you do? You shut down. I shut down. Just like I just start raging within. Yeah, and what happens in your mind when you start raging with him? What do you say? What's the conversation that happens? Uh. Well, like, I I don't know what happens in my brain. I just, I I guess I tell myself like. If I just show how angry I am, there's gonna be a fight. Yeah, like that's the only solution in my mind.、It's、Do you、like, want to fight? I don't want to fight. So、okay. like, that's why I keep it in. So you keep it in. I, I don't know how to express and you, and you my, hold it, my、right? anger. Like if I just say I'm angry, people will be like, "Oh yeah, whatever, mate." But I'm like, no, I'm fucking angry. Like I don't know how to express anger without getting confrontational. So therefore, I just suppress it. Yeah. And then what happens? And it makes me really uncomfortable, and I start resenting the person. And then you start to resent the person, and, and I then just, I just feel really heavy. I can't breathe properly. And where do you feel it in your body when you think about anger right now? Right here, in my, my palms, in your chest, in your palms. Yeah, yeah. So you start to get sweaty palms. Yeah, your chest starts to beat faster. And then the person you're angry with, what happens with them? Do you become? Are you close to them? Do you pull away from them? Do you like avoid them? What do you do? I, I pull away, and I, I just struggle to find words to articulate. Yeah.、Like、and、that. how long do you let that go for? I know I, I,、uh, I don't know. I don't.、Mm. I know when I say I don't know, you always say you do know. You're just <laughs> trying to deflect. I don't. I can't remember how long I let it go for. 
But how long do you stay angry? A day, two for a days, days for, a week, for about up to a week. Okay. Yeah. And how exhausting is that? Very. Yeah. But now it's becoming. It's gotten less. Yeah. I don't. Not many things get me angry anymore. But day or two now. All right. Let me ask you this: Who in your family was angry? My dad. Yeah, <laughs> my dad, my dad too. And what did you make it mean about him? Being angry is bad because my mom's crying. Yeah. So you saw your father as a child be angry at your mother, and you made a decision, an agreement that if I act like that, you're going to make people sad and cry. So yeah. what you've done, I will decide to hold down my emotions. I will decide not to express my needs. I will decide not to speak up because I don't want to disappoint or make anyone sad or angry because they might leave as well. Mm. Yep, precisely. And I'm very good at doing that, but then it takes it to- it takes its toll on me. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, I still want to do that anymore. I want to, but then but then when I do it, I witness like I say things that I that are in my mind. And this is another thing. So I, I say the right thing at the wrong time. <laughs> don't, don't, don't we all? <laughs> That's me. Like, uh, I should have said that shit six months ago. Why would I just say it now? You know? Yeah. So the, the thing is, Aaron, it's, it's, we need to build the relationship back up with anger. Mm. We need to understand that anger is as important as happiness. You can't just be happy and be like, oh, I never get angry. It's actually bullshit. Yeah. Because we all get angry. But if we don't acknowledge the anger, if we don't allow the anger, then it becomes a problem. Mm. And how I mean that, what I mean by that is when we, when we allow anger, anger is useful. What's anger useful for? Creation. Creation? What else? Um. <laughs> what does anger do? When someone crosses a boundary, lets them know that that's not okay. Yeah, it but teaches you, people how to treat you. Yeah, see, anger's useful. Mm. But if you go, Haha, that's all right, just don't do it again, and then the person does it again, then I get rude, more angry. I was but, already angry. But imagine you don't allow anger to come up, right? So imagine you're the person that doesn't allow anger to come up. I come over and I cross the boundary, and you go hey, that wasn't okay. And I go, oh, sorry, it's all good. It's all right, don't worry about it. And I just fluff it off, right? And then I come back a week later and do the same thing again. And you go, oh, that's okay, it's fine. And, you know, we're living together, right? So imagine like I come into your room, take your charger, take your computer, borrow it. Oh, Aaron won't matter. He never gets mad about anything. Hey, bro, do you know where my stuff is? Oh, yeah, I brought it. Okay, cool, just let me know. Oh, yeah, whatever, that's cool. And I keep crossing the line and I keep crossing your boundary and I keep pushing you. Deep down inside, you're like, I don't want to upset this person or I don't want to make them angry or sad because I don't want to express my anger. So what I'm saying to you is that my needs are not as important as yours every time I don't speak up. So if you want to have a healthy relationship with anger, it's like, how do I express this in a way where it's like, at the time, do I have a right to be mad about this? Has this person crossed my boundaries? I'm going to communicate that to this person. Mm. Right? And 
the best way to do that is find out what the trigger points are because remember, it doesn't just go anger. Anger is like the top emotion. Before anger comes, there's frustration, irritation, right? Friction. And all these things are happening before we get to pop, right? So it's about recognizing your patterns. Like what is the things that happen before you get to that point of anger? Explosion. And allowing yourself to be angry at certain times and going, you know what? I'm allowed to be angry and I'm still lovable. I'm allowed to be angry and still be nurturing. Doesn't make me a bad person. But your idea is that because your father was angry, that means he's bad. Don't behave like that ever. Yeah, I don't want to be angry, especially in my relationship. Well, almost is, I don't want to be perceived as him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... If he's, I don't know if he's watching it. He probably, he probably won't watch this, but... Yeah, it's just, I have flashbacks in my mind of when, he, when him and my mum were arguing, arguing mm. and he was, like, raising his voice and stuff. And I was like, fuck. But then I subconsciously attract that in my... I don't do that in my relationships. I don't raise my voice to women. It's partly because of that, right? I, just, I do the opposite. But it's like, I still have the conflict that they had. How did you feel when you saw that as a child? I just felt sad for my mom. I felt sorry for my mom. I was like, I, don't, I, I thought that she should not be treated like that. Yeah. Like, there's a better way to come to a solution than just shouting. And did you ever speak up for your mom? No, because I was kind of scared of my dad. Yeah. And what did you make that mean about yourself then? I'm a fucking coward. Yeah. <laughs> like Will Smith. <laughs> That's why the Will Smith book has blown my mind. Yeah. Because he opens the book and he says, like, his whole life he's felt like a coward. Yeah. Because his mom got punched in the face by his father and he was standing there looking at it and he didn't do anything. And uh, I, my mom didn't get punched in the face but by my father, but, like, they had heated arguments and I didn't stand up for my mum or... I don't think I did anyway. Yeah. And if I don't think I did, I probably didn't. Now, when you think about that now, I didn't stand up for my mum or I didn't feel like I could stand up for my mum because I felt powerless. Yeah, because he's the man. I'm not the man. Yeah. I was a kid. But now you're a man and you're still acting as if you're the child. When someone comes over you and says, hey, what are you doing this? What do you do? Uh, I don't know how to react. Yeah. I, I literally don't know what to say yeah. to, you know, express how I feel mm. and set the, set the boundary. Like, hey, that's not okay. Mm. I just feel like I'm not taken seriously in that regard. Mm. And that's something that I've been battling with for a long time. Yeah. And then how does that make you feel? It's fucking weak. <laughs> yeah. So the judgment is that I'm weak because I'm not actually saying what I want. Yeah. Like, um, I, I was... Uh, I remember I was in the club with my ex-girlfriend in LA mm. and we were in One Oak and, and we were walking through the crowd and then some guy, I didn't see it, but some guy grabbed her ass. Yeah. And it's just me and her, right? I'm in LA. Like I don't live there. I don't, I don't have any friends there. And then some dude just grabbed her ass and then, well, just like squeezed it, right? As she was walking, as we were walking. And then she turned around and looked at me and she's like, oh, some guy squeezed, squeezed my butt. And I was just like, in my mind, I'm like... Oh, God, I can't protect you. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to go up to him and confront him. Absolutely not. 
So I was like, oh, don't worry about it, and just kept walking. But I do that all the time. Like, it's not just that instance. With women, it triggers me as well, like, because she was very attractive, right? So I, I got anxious because I knew that I'd have to enforce boundaries whilst I was with her, because I knew that guys would hit on her. And like, if we were sitting at a coffee shop, and let's say I go to the toilet, I come back, she's talking to a guy. I'm like, what do I say? I just sat next to her. Is she allowed to talk to guys? Yeah, but again, this is not an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it. The, uh, the, no, but it wasn't just like, like he's obviously talking to her because he wants to get in her pants. Like that's, that's obvious. Okay. The way his body language was, how he was talking to her. And I see this and I come back to the table and then I'm just like, yeah, just sit down and I just start hugging her. Because I didn't want to say anything. I just wanted to show through my actions that, hey, this is my chick. Or I'd be like, hey, man, what's up? How you doing? And then, like, put my arm around her, you know? So you need to, you need to claim it. Yeah. <laughs> Without saying anything. Well, how about introducing yourself? Yeah, I, I sometimes do that. I think that's the fastest way. I'm angry, though. I'm, in that moment, I'm angry. So as I'm doing that, hey, I'm there, and he fucking, fucking... Like I'm just raging Because And where's the anger coming from The anger is coming from What's, what's this guy doing to you What well, is he, he? he the, the, the thought is He's trying to take what's mine He's trying to steal my girl <laughs> He's trying to steal my girl Yeah Right And this is the thing with most men Is like They can't They're not trying to steal your girl Like if you're afraid of A guy stealing your girl Then she's not your girl mm. But this was before But yeah I'm just sharing Yeah. But you think about it Right The anger is yeah. coming up Like this guy's crossing my boundary Yes and this is why guys get into fights in clubs. Yeah. This guy was talking to my girlfriend. This girl was, she wasn't with her boyfriend. She's by herself. She's an attractive female. Mm. Of course, guys are going to try and talk to her. Mm. Right? I always have a rule. Like, if my girl is talking to a guy or he comes up to her, starts talking to her, whatever. If my girl cannot handle herself, there's a problem. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. If a girl cannot handle herself and like, hey, thank you, but I have a partner, then there's a problem. If the guy hears her express that she has a partner or she's with someone and he still doesn't get away, then I will have a chat. Mm. But other than that, I don't need to. Mm. Right? Yeah. And that's how I feel now. But this particular girl, I, I had trust issues both, both ways. Mm. So like I didn't trust her ability to just handle herself and I didn't trust my ability to yeah she did she did trust me for stuff stuff as well yeah um so but now I don't attract those kinds of women now I more secure in my attachment style <laughs> <laughs> but going going back into anger the, the way to move through anger right yeah. is think about those situations where you're like you feel uncomfortable having a, an uncomfortable conversation and what happens in our body when we're having those uncomfortable conversations, our hearts start to patter. We're like, oh shit, I don't want to offend her or this or that. And it's, it's a really good idea just to jot down like, what's my intention for this conversation? Yeah. Is it to be right or mm. is it to be connected? Right. Yes. Right. And we always need to ask ourselves those kind of questions because most of us going to a converse, uh, confrontation with trying to be right I want to be the one that's right because if I'm right, that means that I'm worthy of love and I get acceptance and I'm the one that wins. And doesn't always you don't always win. Mm. You keep trying to win a conversation and you keep 
teaching your girl or your partner that you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, it's, it's going to eventually end because it's going to be lopsided, mm. right? Because what happens when you're wrong? Do you accept being wrong? Not really. Do you take responsibility when you're wrong? Yeah, now, but before I didn't. Yeah, because it, that blame. means that you're not enough. Mm. That means that I'm, I'm a bad person because I'm wrong. So in relationship, especially when you're in a confrontation, breathe through it. Remind yourself, I'm actually not getting killed. Nothing's actually happening. I'm just communicating with this person. I'm trying to understand where she or he is coming from. Mm. That's a better way to help you move through it and go, none of us died. We came to a solution. We still like, we talked about it. We got the rabbit like the elephant out of the room and we broke, we spoke about it. Yeah. When there's two things I want to bring up. That's the first one is I feel like a lot of people don't know how to deal with people expressing their anger and boundaries. Like if I set a boundary, it, it depends on who you hang out with too. Yeah. But a lot of people, they, they just can't take it. They take it too personal. And it's like, Oh, it's like, Fuck. They take it so personal. You're like, it's not personal, bro. It's just, that's just my boundary. You know, it's just, this is how I live my life. Why do, pe- why do you think people take boundaries personal? I Especially if you didn't have any. Imagine you didn't oh. have any boundaries first and then all of a sudden you start setting boundaries with people. Yeah. Why do you think they're going to take it personal? Yeah, that happened in my relationships and they take it personal because they feel like, I, I guess they feel like they don't know me. Mm. Like, I thought I knew you. Like this, I, why does this bother you all of a sudden? What's going on with you? <laughs> like, this ain't bothered, this bothered me from, from six months ago. I'm just telling you now. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> said it. So usually a boundary will bother someone when it shifts the way their relationship is impacted. Yeah. Maybe I'm so used to getting what I want or I get to do what I want, how I want, you know, and it really suits my needs. But all of a sudden you're saying, no, that's not okay with me now. And that irritates me because now it's like, I don't get to do what I want, how I want, how I used to do it. Mm. And this is the thing about boundaries is, is communicating it and not just communicating it once. It's doing it over and over again until the person that you're setting the boundary with understands that this is the way this person wants to be treated. Yeah. And that's the key is because if I, if I set it once and then I let you go back on it. So just say I'm like, What's a boundary that you set, but then you like let the person just stumble over your boundary? Uh, Something that you, you're like, you know what, this is how I want to live. And then you're like, the person just was like, whatever. And they just kept on doing it. And you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> um, yeah, like f- f- really spontaneous dinners and stuff. Like, like if there's like an hour to go and then you message me and say, like, hey, let's go for dinner. Like, I need more time than that, you know? But sometimes I'll let that slip. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah. Instead of like, no, I need, give me, if you want to go dinner with me, let's give, give me give some time. Mm. At least a day. Yeah. You know? So pure example, like, and then all of a sudden I get mad at you yeah. because you haven't, you're like, why aren't you coming? Come on, yeah. just do it. Yeah. Right? Come on, stop being a tight ass. Stop being so, right? And you're, you know, people pleaser goes, oh, I don't want to be seen as difficult or I should just go and just say yes. But then you say yes and then you feel resentment. Yeah. 
fuck, why didn't I fucking go to that thing? Yeah, and how many of us do that, including myself, yeah. where I'd be like, I say yes to things and I'm like, why am I here? Yeah. Right? <laughs> and it's because you, it comes down to your values. Mm. What is my values? What is my standards? Mm. And when I don't have values, I don't actually have what I don't feel worth. I don't have nothing to actually give me guidance to whether I want to do something or not. I just go with other people's flow. Mm. And yeah. when you think about it like that, it's like, Every time you don't follow through with your boundary, mm -hmm. you're communicating to the person that you're setting the boundary with in the first place that, you know what, my boundaries are weak yeah. and you're going to push them over anyway. And if you keep on persisting, you'll probably get your way. So we're always teaching people how to treat us. Mm. So how do, you, how, how do you get comfortable with setting the, the boundaries then? Because what's the, what's the underlying issue there? Is it is it self-worth or it's craving for acceptance so much that you you just do what other people want you to do instead of what you want to do most of the time people don't set boundaries because they want to be liked because mm. i want to be accepted i yeah. don't want to be seen as difficult yeah i don't want to be seen as not fun right so if i set a boundary um i could offend people oh meal doesn't take shit like that oh meal doesn't do that you know it's funny because i hear certain situations where people get spoken to in a certain way and i'm like oh it never really happens to me and it usually happens to people with have that have low self-esteem or don't have boundaries or don't speak up and certain people will take advantage of it um i remember being in a relationship where i was dating a girl that like had borderline personality disorder i didn't understand my values I constantly kept bending over for her, making sure she, her needs were kept. But whenever I wanted to speak up for something, she would lose it. And I was like, oh my God, I can't deal with this. So I'll just do it. And that relationship ruined my self-esteem and my confidence. I stopped trusting myself because I was getting gaslit. This person was constantly like bombarding me with like, you said you were going to do this. You didn't follow through this and da, da, da. And I'm, you know, when you're constantly a bad, bad, bad all the time. Remember I said to you before, if you're constantly right, is a relationship. You're not always going to be right. And if you are, there's a problem. There's two people in a relationship. And I was finding in this relationship that I was constantly wrong and just going on with it, like, oh, okay, she must be right. She's got evidence. And eventually it got to a point where I was like, I need help. I need outside help. I need to speak to someone to be like, is this normal? And I remember my mom suggested, maybe you should go to a psychologist. And I saw this psychologist and I went for like two sessions and he talked to me about values. And he said, what are your values? And I was like, I don't know what my values are. And this is why I teach this so much and I'm so passionate about values is because it's your worth. It's how you make decisions. It's how you build relationships. It's how you build your business. It's how you understand if this is the something that I want to be doing and what it lights me up about or not. Values counteract your old agreements and these underlying beliefs that have been holding you back. Right, And I remember once I started to understand my values, I realized, and the psychologist told me at the same time, he was like, if they don't, if you're, if this decision does not align with your values, you can say no. And I was like, you can? <laughs> so that was my gauge. And every time I made a decision, I checked my values and I go, this doesn't align with my values. And I said, no. And eventually that relationship ended quite fast. 
but it was because I was setting a boundary. It was because I was setting a standard of how I want to be treated. And it was because I put myself, my own needs first and my own values ahead of hers. But that's easier, easier said than done, right? Well, that's the practice. Yeah. It, it takes practice. Of course, you're going to learn it, but the difference is how am I practicing this? How am I practicing this daily? I still have on my board behind you like values. I teach all my clients, have the values in front of you. Make sure you know why they're a value. Make sure you understand what this value is going to combat. Make sure you understand how to practice this. How are you practicing this daily so you embody it, not just know it? It's not enough to know your values. You have to embody it. So many of us don't embody it. We just learn something once and we go, yep, I'm done. I read that book, cool. But I'm like, have you gotten the lessons out of that book and practiced it mm. to the point where you mastered it, where it becomes part of you, part of your identity? This is who I am now. I used to think, Confrontation was so scary, bro. And I put assertiveness as a value. And assertiveness means your values matter and so do mine, but I'm not going to sacrifice my values for yours. And I worked out every single way. How can I be more assertive? How can, what is assertive? Like I don't need to be aggressive. I don't need to be rude, but I can speak up if I feel like something is unjust. Yeah. And that's, that's actually the, the best word to describe it. It's being more assertive. Like mm. I practice that now with just with uh, like ordering food. Let's say, for example, I ordered food um, about a month ago mm. and I, I ordered four eggs and the plate came and it, there was only two eggs. I could tell because I normally order four. Yeah. And I said to the waitress, this isn't four eggs. She's like, no, no, it is. I was like, no, it's not. I normally order four eggs and I know what that looks like. This yeah. is two eggs for sure. She's like, no, no, no. I'm like, look. I'm telling you, this is four, four eggs. And it was just, I was being assertive, which is, before my past, like I, don't, I didn't normally do that. I'd be like, oh, fuck, they just gave me the wrong order. Ah, it's okay. And anyone else who would be assertive with the waitress, I, I would judge them for it and be like, dude, why are you always so extra, bro? Like, yeah. just leave it, bro. Yeah. He's like, no, I ordered this. I'm going to have this. Yeah. Like, my girlfriend would get annoyed with me at the start. Like, when we, when we go to restaurants and stuff, I'll be like, no, that's not it. That's not what I ordered. If I ordered steak and it was medium rare, I'm like, it's cooked. I'm like, that's not what I ordered. I had no problem speaking up about things because at the end of the day, you can do it in a way that's nice. You don't need to be rude about it. Yeah. You can still be polite, mm. right? Um, you don't have to be righteous about it. You don't need to make put the person down. You can just be like, hey, this is not what I ordered and... Can you change it? Ah, I just realized that. So every altercation my dad had yeah. with people in business or on phone or whatever, like he always got more angry like as it progressed. And so I just perceived every altercation, every confrontation as I'm just going to get more angry like my dad because he doesn't know how to talk to people in a way where, well, at least my memory of him when he was doing this stuff, like he'd just get more and more angry instead mm. of... Even when he came to Thailand, like, it happened then. Because this is... When he came to Thailand, it was about seven years ago. Um, and Thailand, you know, it's, like, really chill, you know. And I forget exactly what happened, but sometimes we'll be bartering with the vendors and then he'd start getting a bit mad that they were charging him more money. Mm. And uh, I, I can understand you get a bit mad if they're, like, charging you, like, crazy high price. But... Um, 
But then the way he was negotiating it was kind of like, he was getting more and more angry. I could see that. And I was like, Dad, I, I'm always the peacemaker because of that. Yeah. I'm a natural peacemaker. I was like, Dad, just chill. Like, it's cool. You know? Like, it's cool. Like, <laughs> always the peacemaker. So your role in the family was as soon as your dad gets angry or stuff, you'll fix it. Yeah. So you became the fixer. I'll take responsibility. Yeah. Right? And we all do that. We all take roles in our families. But how is that now? Where are you still taking responsibility for your family? For my family? Yeah, because, you know, you talk about, like, I'll be the peacemaker. I'll just make sure everything's okay. I'll just settle it. I don't want to be embarrassed. Da, 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 right? It's like you're taking responsibility for his shit. Mm. Who else do you take responsibility for? Uh, I stopped I stop now, but my mum's. My mum, I guess. Mm. I, I, I feel Have like you I, stopped? Do you still get triggered when your mum says stuff or your, da- your brother says stuff? Uh, yeah, like I get triggered if I, my, my brother if he's watching this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my brother and I relationship is good. Um, I use, I think I need to put more effort in though to like call him more and stuff. Yeah, because um, I feel like he's he's where I was a few years ago. Yeah, before I got into all this emotions and stuff and suppressing how he really feels, not setting boundaries. And I see it in him and that triggers me. It's not nothing to do with him. It's just, I see, like, I used to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. But you know where a trigger is? If it's still triggering you, it means I need to look at it. Mm. If it's still triggering me, there's something in me that's not healed. I'm I'm still doing it a little bit. Yeah. That's why it's triggering. Yeah, because then I'm making a judgment. Yeah. And the judgment's coming from a place of, oh shit, there's still something in me that's not healed. Mm. Yeah. And that's another thing about relationships is no matter how much work you do on yourself, you get in a relationship and it just uncovers a whole another layer. <laughs> Everything of goes out of work. That you need to work on. Yeah, you can do as much self-development as you want, but as soon as you get in a relationship, it opens up a new can of worms. And that's a beautiful thing about relationships too. Yeah. What do you think about relationships in the sense that can can you be with anyone and and learn to just tolerate them? Or do you have to match a certain type of partner? I think you need to check in to go, I think everyone's gonna have their own standards of what they want in a partner. I mean, do you wanna be with anyone? No, but I think I could be, but that's, again, if I'm not clear my values, then I I can be like a leaf in the wind. Let me give you another example. If I was to say to you, go and date anyone in Chenggu, and they're saying, hey, I'm going to go and do something that's totally not interesting to me, do you think you wouldn't be with that person all the time? No. Exactly. So we date people that interest us, that have similar values. Not the same, exactly, but similar values that are exciting to us. Because it's almost, relationship is is, is like a friendship. It's like, why am I hanging out with this person? Other than like, having sex it's like you want to develop friendship you want intimacy you want connection you want to have similar interests i value a partner that values their health because i value health i want a partner that is active and wants to travel because i value travel right if i was dating someone that's like i don't train or i do i just like eat shitty food and i don't like traveling i'll be like this would be really hard because what happens every time i want to go travel or i want to go eat somewhere or do something what do you do together? Mm. So I do believe that you have to have similar values. It doesn't have to be the same, but 
you want to have similar interests because you're there to evolve with this person. They're matching you in different ways. They're going to bring up stuff for you in different ways. Like my partner, she's, you know, she was on the podcast. She's a TV presenter, actress, you know, she's so comfortable speaking on camera, right? I'm so, when I speak on camera, I'm like, like, you know, like if I have to talk directly to a camera, I'm literally, you know, stuttering every five words, right? But when I coach on stage or if I'm talking about emotions or breaking stuff down, I'm like, whatever, I just talk about anything. But we we are made, we all, everyone has different strengths, mm. you know, and everyone's going to bring something different. That's why we're in partnership. But if they're not, why are we partnering? We're settling. Yeah. For what? For company when you actually know that this person's actually not making me a better version of myself. I'm not, am I a better version because I'm with you? Right? Yeah, and that goes down to like, Let's talk about attracting partners because that's um, such a fascinating thing. It's like you attract the same person with a different face and different name. Yeah. The patterns that you don't heal in your relationships. So like, different. I, that's happened to me. So what happened? Oh, fuck. Why did I say that? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just the same, the same patterns. Uh, I felt like I was attracted to women that you know, wanted things that I cannot provide. Give me an example. Like women that, that, you know, they were at the age where they wanted the kids and family. And I don't want that right now in my life, but I was attracted to them. Mm. And then eventually it would get to the point where she'd be like, all right, well, what's the deal? Like, are you going to give me kids or what? I'm like, nope. And then, of course, we just end up breaking up and then it's, like, hurt and pain and all this stuff. And that pattern's been happening a lot. How many times? Twice. Yeah, twice. Yeah. That's a lot for me. Yeah. And why do you think it got to that point? Uh, How long you with, were, were you with each, each person? How long were you with the first well, one? The first one was seven years. Yep. And after about three or four years, were you thinking like, were you guys talking about kids? Were you guys talking yeah, about? Right. In the third year, I said, um, I don't want to get married. Um, you said that at the I third said, year? third year, yeah. And she said? And she just brushed it off. It's like boundaries, right? Yeah. It's like a loose boundary. So she ignored the fact that you said that after three years? Yeah, basically. And my then? my behavior was different. Yeah. How was it different? I was just living with her. Yeah. So... Um, yeah that was like that was the thing I, I actually have to deal with that the forgiveness I haven't forgiven myself for that I still beat myself up about that actually and I think she's probably moved on like but but what did you do what signs did you ignore you were three you said you were seven well, first years of all, she was older than me yeah well, I didn't think about that like I, I was like oh, I'm having a great time this is great and then um, she was six years my senior mm -hmm. Then uh, the, the alarm bells started. This is like so fucking shit to talk about, but because <laughs> if they're watching it. But anyway, this is like how I felt. They need closure for this. I need closure for myself. Basically, I was living in the house. Her sister was living in the house also. Yeah. Is that actually her house? Yeah. And then she was living with her partner. And she's a younger sister, right? And then, and then they come in, knock on the door one night. They're like, hey, we're 
uh, we're, I'm engaged. And then as like, I should be happy in that moment. And I was happy like on the outside, but inside I was like, oh God, I'm gonna be next. Cause they're looking at me cause I'm dating the older sister and the younger sister that the dude's already proposed. Like my friend yeah. already proposed to her. And then, yeah. Then they went to India and then as they were gone, I just left the house. And I left when they weren't there because I couldn't bring myself to pack all my stuff up whilst they were living in the house. Uh, so you left yeah. without telling her? No, I told her. We had a conversation a couple of nights prior, but it was like such a, it was like being jabbed. It was like being punched in the face by Mike Tyson. It was such a shock, you know, such a surprise. She was shocked. Yeah. Because I'd been suppressing how I felt for so long. So you years. didn't express anything about that? We had, a, we had a talk four years in. Yeah. I was like, hey, I, I, I feel like I want to like leave and stuff. She's, and she basically like wrote me back in. Mm. Uh, and I, again, that was a loose boundary. Did she rope you back in? No, I, 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 I say that. It's, it's not, doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. But it wasn't, I wasn't really convicted that I was going to leave at that point. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just stay. Yeah. You know? So you settled. Yeah. Yeah. But then I realized, like, I, I didn't want that for myself. And why did you think you settled? Fear. Of? Unknown. Yeah. Like, the lack of comfort. You know, I was living in that house, just taking care of me, you know, like, it's, everything was great. Yeah. But then I just felt like a caged animal at times. Like, the mum was living there also. Yeah. And I was just there in the house, like, Every time I'd go out by myself, where are you going? Fuck, man. I feel like a baby. I feel like a kid. Controlled. Yeah. Yeah. But I never said anything. Yeah. That's the thing. So I never voiced any of these issues. Like the everything that bothered me, I never spoke about. Yeah. And what happens when we do that? What happens to our bodies when we don't express what we need or what we want? Think about it. How do you feel when you don't get out or speak up? How do you feel Just in your feel body? Like Heavy. So I get out into the town, meet my friends, and I'm just like, ah, oh, I can relax now. Yeah. It's like I'm holding my breath. But you normalized suppression for so long. Yeah. You normalized not being able to express, and we are expressive beings. Yes. We need to express. That's how we live. That's how we feel alive. And when we suppress something in us, what that does is it kills our spirit. Yeah. It kills the fire inside of you. Yeah. And then you don't realize that you're like, oh, I'm comfortable, but I'm dead. Mm. And for years you did that. Yeah. So then everything. And this is where probably like, there's probably guilt and there's probably some shame around there. Yeah. Because it's like, fuck, I should have spoken up. I should have left earlier. I knew the signs. I ignored the signs. You ignore the signs in year three. But the thing is, there's nothing wrong with her, but it was just what I wanted, like, I could have easily married her, for example, right? Mm. And yeah, I would have been happy, I guess, but I don't know. I would just, you have been happy? If I continue to suppress myself, I don't know, but it's, it's a hard one to process, man. I mean, I, it's, it's something I haven't dealt with because I keep thinking about it and it's been five years since I was with her now. So, what, four years? Yeah. Have you wrote about it? Have you any, done any forgiveness work around it? No, I haven't. I would suggest doing a forgiveness process. I'll give one to you. Yeah. Where you write about it, write down your feelings, like resentments that you had around it, about yourself. Mm. Because there's still this pain. You can feel it. There's a story around like, what am I? How am I showing up? Yeah, how could I do that to 
human How being. could I do that to her? There's yeah. guilt. Yeah. There's shame there. Like I'm a bad person. Yeah. Right. I wasted this person's time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you see how that circulates, and when that circulates in the back of someone's mind, that emotion actually stops us from creating other things because it's an open loop. Mm. And until you close it, and you get the lessons and take that, you could then have a conversation with her. Now, when I say have a conversation with her, what, what comes up for you as I say that? Well, her and I, we still talk mm. sometimes, you know, like very one, twice, three times a year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was meant to go there actually next month, but anyway. But yeah, like I do want to settle that. So, what, I, so it, what comes up for you if I was to say I want you to have an open conversation with her and actually let go and actually... Um, Concern? What's a concern? I don't know if she needs to hear it, if she wants to hear it. Because mm. why? I feel like I'd, I'd hurt her again. What if she? I don't want to hurt her again. What if she needed to hear that she was a great partner? I just wasn't ready. I think she knows that, but I don't know for sure. You don't know. It's all assumptions. But she's with a partner now. Yeah, but still. There's still the back of her head, a bit of a trauma there that happened to her. I was with my partner for so long, I had no idea that he didn't want to be with me. And then he just left. What's wrong with me? Yeah, she told me that she had thoughts of like suicidal thoughts, I think. Yeah. Or she was really depressed, at least. Yeah. What happens when someone all of a sudden, we've been with someone for so long and all of a sudden they just leave? Yeah. You're going to think of all the reasons under the sun. Of why am I enough, yeah. Why they left me. What did I not do enough of? Yeah. Was I too much? Was I this? Yeah, so what she said is she said, I, I, I loved you too much. Maybe. Maybe she didn't challenge you enough. Maybe she tried to control it. Maybe she had a fear of abandonment and she ended up pushing you away. Yeah, fear of abandonment she has. Yeah. So then every time you went out, she feels anxious. He might leave. Her fear came true. Whatever you focus on will grow. If I constantly think I'm not enough and I'm going to get abandoned, then I'm going to create a scenario where I push my partner away, where I sabotage it myself. We were talking about it earlier, sabotage. Why do we sabotage? We sabotage because we have low self-esteem because mm. we don't think that we're worthy of it. Yeah. So I try to control it. But the more we try to control and hold on, the more we actually bring that fear into our presence, into our reality. Mm. Same thing with money as well. Yeah, same exact thing. It's like sabotaging. So I got all this money. Oh, that looks good. Oh, I'll get that. Oh, that, I'll get that. And all of a sudden, fuck, where did the money go? So how do you sabotage money? Just buy shit I don't need. Well, or just like spend it on. I find stuff to spend money on. Mm. Like I just, I'm so creative. It's like, oh, I, I, yeah, I need, I need a watch. Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't have that. I need that too. Yeah, oh, yeah, I need. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Mm. Like, and it's just actually that's probably the, going back to business and coaching. That's probably what sabotage sabotage my business. Like, I'd make money instead of investing it into reinvesting into the business. I'd just spend it mm. and then just stay small. But oh, it's because it's, it's like fear. There's a unconscious, subconscious fear there. It's like, if I if I hire a coach, we got to like we got to work more, you know, we got to like do more things and I got more responsibility now. I got someone else to look after. Oh, it's all that pressure. Oh, it's just, 
you know, I could buy that watch instead or, you know. Yeah. So I, I sabotaged my my business as well in that way. But I think it's I think the root for me is like is self worth. Mm. So how do how do you cultivate more self worth? Because a lot of the patterns in my life have been a lack of self worth. Like even uh, that girl, for example, I was talking about her. Who? That the girl I was talking about. Yeah. Seven years. Um, like I felt like yeah. Well, after I broke up with her, it was good for a few months, and then I got back together with her. Mm. And that's another pattern of mine as well. And I've, why do I get back together with the, the people that I already said, hey, I don't want to be with you anymore? And it's like I feel like there's something missing. You know, something external that's to make me happy. But also, it's it's trust, Aaron. Every time I I go back on my word, I break my own word. I don't believe myself. Yeah, yeah, I don't believe it. And when I keep doing that to myself, over and over and over again, that's a recipe for low self esteem. Mm. I don't trust myself. I don't believe myself. I've done. I said I'm going to do this, and then I follow, and then I don't follow through, and I go and do the same thing again. Yeah. I get convinced into pushing into that because that's easier, mm. right? Yeah. And if I trust myself because I say I'm going to do things and I follow through, then I'm going to do the next thing. How do you build confidence? The key ingredient is trust. It's following through with the thing I said I was going to do and then doing that one thing over and over again. It doesn't need to be big. It could be like, today I'm going to do 10 push-ups and then I'm going to drink a big glass of water and that's the two things today. And you do that, you tick it off your list and you go, yes, see, I follow through. Then tomorrow you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. You're building that trust. And then you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to go for a two kilometer run. Not five, not 10, two. And then you follow through and you do that and you go, oh, look, I did that. And you're telling your subconscious that I'm worthy because I say I am, because I follow through with what I say I do. But when you don't, yeah. and when you let people come in and, and just overtake and convince you not to listen to your gut, not, not to listen to your values, then that's when you get disconnected from your own gut, yeah. from your own truth. Yeah, it's easy, it's easy to, to do those things that, you know, build a trust in yourself, but I find that it's not enough. It's a... It's a consistent practice. Mm. And this is why having a coach is, we need coaches, we need people to keep us accountable. We are our, the best negotiators. If you, you know, as you know, you were in personal training for years, like you see a client, they can negotiate easily. Like, I don't want to do this today. Yeah. I find five reasons why I don't need to do this. Mm. Right. And the thing is that for me, it's easier. I just don't negotiate. If I say I'm going to do it, I'm committed to do it, right? I even tell my team, I'm like, hey, this is what I have to put out this week. This is what I have to do. Hold me accountable. Because otherwise my mind will try and negotiate and try and look for easier ways, look for excuses out of it. Yeah. But ultimately we have to recognize, like, why do I do this? Mm. Why? What's my biggest why? What am I trying to create in my career? Yeah. Why am I in this relationship? Mm. And if I don't know why then it might not be the right relationship or the right career. Yeah, so going back to the career thing, how do you, this is the this is like my life's question right now, right? Because mm. I was I was talking to you about this off camera. 
Michael Jordan's got a documentary on Netflix called The Last Dance. Mm. We both watched it. We've got Will Smith's story of his book. All these people that have achieved huge success have had some sort of wound that they're trying to achieve to fill the void that they felt. Like I feel, it's like in business, right? Like there's this guy, um, anyway, he's a big business guy and he's like, he's in, so insecure that he went and built this huge business mm. to try and fill the void of him feeling insecure. Not feeling enough. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that drive of not feeling enough, not being seen, like no one's paying attention to you. You're the shittest player. Like that drive is what propels them. Mm. So my question is, if you don't have that drive, like how, how are you going to achieve these heights if you don't have that wound that's causing that drive? You can achieve things. You have to have a burning desire. So their desires were based on things that happened to them as child, as children, right? Will Smith, his why, when you listen to his book, his why was because he wanted to become one of the biggest, most amazing movie stars, right? But his why, he became an entertainer because he saw his father beat his mother in front of him and he felt weak. He didn't step in. He felt scared. He hated being scared. So what did he do? I'm going to overcompensate and I'm going to go towards fear. So everything that I was scared of, I would go towards. He even says it, right? And he eventually realizes that even though he's gone towards all the fears and he's gone there, he's still not satisfied, he's still not fulfilled because he hasn't healed the wound of being a child and seeing that his mother getting beat, right? He's got, an, he's got a story. He's got a story that I'm not strong enough, I can't support, I can't help my mother. So what do I do? I decide to become the biggest entertainer in the world. And this is how he would play the same thing you said earlier, um... He'll become the entertainer in the family. Everything's all right. Everything's calm. Everything's going to be cool. Hey, look. Look, Dad, I'll make you laugh. I'll make you laugh to distract you from beating Mum's head in. See how that's so deeply ingrained? Michael Jordan, in The Last Dance, talks about how his father was always with his older brother. He wanted to come out with his older brother and his dad in the shed, and he said, go, go in the house with your mum. He got cut from the high school basketball team. It affects his, his self-esteem. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I got cut. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to make sure this never happens to me again. I'm going to make sure I never get cut again. I'm going to destroy every person that comes in the way because I know that if I become the best, people are going to give me praise and love and satisfaction. Same thing as Will Smith. Will Smith gets to the point where he gets this much stardom and then he realizes that I'm so disconnected that... I don't even know who my wife is anymore. I'm disconnected from my kids. I'm the biggest movie star in the world, but I'm lonely. So what is desire? How do we get desire? It comes from our values. And if you value it, you have to check in. Why do I want this goal? What is going to change? If I achieve this, what am I going to do with this to give back, to teach more people, to impact more people? Um, Jim Carrey said I wish everyone becomes famous and earns millions of dollars so they realise that they don't, that's actually not the answer mm. we see so many artists and we see so many famous people 
killing themselves because of a lack of fulfillment, because they're not actually connected to themselves. There's no joy. So how do you achieve such status? First, figure out why you want it in the first place. First, figure out what success means to you. Because if you don't, if you're trying to go on what other people's success means, you're missing the point. If I'm trying to achieve the same success as Michael Jordan, I want to be the best of him. You don't realize what Michael Jordan went through. He couldn't go anywhere in the world without people recognizing him and hounding him. Now imagine you in his shoes for 24 hours and everybody just coming at you and bombarding you. Can I have a picture? Can I have a picture? Can I have this? Can I have that? Michael Jordan, I'm writing a story about you. He had stories written about his father when oh, his yeah. father got murdered. Yeah, that was crazy. Right? Imagine your father just getting murdered and then them saying, you did it. you set it up? Yeah. How would that feel? Mm. So everybody wants the, the fame, wants the money, but they don't, it's also recognizing what comes with that kind of fame. Why do I want that kind of fame? What am I trying to get from external, from people? Mm. Where do I not feel fulfilled here? And there's nothing wrong with going and growing, like having massive dreams, but just understand why you want it in the first place and make sure your values align with it. Because if they don't, you will get there, but you won't be any happier. Yeah, and so the values is knowing who you are, right? Yeah, it's understanding who you are, why you want it. Mm. It's about your, the way you show up on a daily basis. It's your being. Because you can, you can achieve to a high level and still not know who you are. Is that possible? You can achieve massive goals and, and still, still be lost and lonely. Mm. Another, another example, Justin Bieber mm -hmm. wrote a song about lonely. He's like, what is, how does the song go? Honestly, how does the song go? It goes, if you could have it all, nobody to call, you still never know me. Yeah, so he basically talks about how everybody knows my name. And when I'm down and sick, no one gives a shit. Like, it goes something like that. But he expresses how he's like, everybody knows me. And the moment I get sick or something happens to me, everyone laughs at me. It's like, what is that? Why do we want that? And like I said, there's nothing wrong with it. I want to make big things happen. I want to impact millions of people. But I also want to make sure that I do not lose myself in the process to the point where I am yeah. so burnt out and disconnected from myself. What's the point? Mm. It's like Beyonce says in her song, Running, she said, if I lose myself, I lose it all. Yeah. And it's, that's such a deep lyric. Like, it's so true. Yeah. It's not worth it if you lose yourself. It's not. We, we sacrifice our health for likes or to be fed, to be fed by external things. And what happens when that gets taken away? What happens when someone decides they want to cancel you? Your identity's gone. Who are you? Who are you without that thing? That's another key thing is a lot of people in this day and age think that they're their job. So like, who are you? Oh, oh, and they just say what they do for work. So like, that's mm. not who you are. That's what you do. They're two separate things. Yeah. But your identity can get lost. Like I thought I was the fitness guy. Like that's who I am. I'm a fitness guy. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm way more than that. But that's what I thought I was. I did the same thing. I was a model for 12 years. Yeah. When I stopped modeling, it was the first thing that happened to me was I lost a whole lot of confidence mm. because I was like, who am I now? Yeah. I used to be the dude that was on 
billboards and I was doing New York Fashion Week and people would see me all over TV and commercials. And now I'm not doing that. And I realized I based all of my confidence and self-esteem on that. So I had to rebuild myself. I had to rebuild my values. I was training in the gym, not because I'm like, of course I knew I felt better when I trained, but I wasn't training because I wanted to be healthier. I was training because I got paid to look good. So when I stopped modeling, all of a sudden, I don't need to you know, look all ripped and stuff because I'm not doing underwear campaigns anymore. No reason. No. And then all of a sudden, I stopped training and then all of a sudden, my energy st- slows down and I, my mood slowed down and I'm like, wait a second, I'm not as motivated. I'm not, as in, a, I'm not in a good mood. Yeah. All these things are affecting. Yeah. So I put health again on my values and I, made, I gave health a new meaning. And the meaning I give health now is emotionally, spiritually, physically, not just one thing, which was physically. It's emotionally mm. and spiritually. Yeah. What are the emotional thoughts that I'm having? What, what are my emotional thoughts that I'm eating? What am I saying to myself? Yeah. Am I talking shit to myself when I wake up in the morning or am I communicating with myself? Mm. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Because the self-care is, is the most important thing. I think with regards to coaching and group coaching, yeah, how does self-care play a role in your ability to show up for your clients? Huge. Good question. Huge. If I'm not filling up my cup, if I'm not sitting with myself daily, there's no way I'm going to have the capacity to coach a group because yeah. it's a lot of energy, yeah. right? And you have to recognize when you are doing these kinds of things, that you make sure you're prepping yourself because you're about to go into a big container with a lot of people. Mm. So I always make sure, like, if I'm about to run a course or I'm going to do a program or I'm going to run an event, I am so on point with my sleep first, right? Morning and night routine. Everyone thinks about morning routine, but they forget about the, the night routine. Because it's what you do the night before that sets you up for the next day. But everyone's like, yeah, you got to have a good morning routine. But what happens when you wake up and you're tired? That mood translates into everything you do. So I always think about the first hour of power. Meditate, read a book, listen to a podcast. Movement. I, like to, I prefer to exercise in the morning. Diet. There's a reason why we have a chef. When you first started living here, I was like, do you want to have a chef? And you were like, no, I'll cook myself. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> I was like, I'm about automizing, right? Yeah. right? I'm, I want to make sure I have my systems on point. If I give the chef a bunch of recipes and I'm getting my good fats for my brain daily, making sure I have avocado, coconut water, um, lean meat, lean fish, salads, mm-hmm. I feel better. I feel way more connected to my body. I, I need to make sure I'm on point mm. and not just talking about it and telling my students to do it, but I'm doing it. I'm living it, mm. right? And I'm, for me, when I'm preparing for a group, it's always about making sure I set my intention first and go, okay, who do I need to be? Because that's going to translate into the group. That's going to that's gonna impact every single person in that group, mm. how I show up. Yeah, it's powerful. And when you do show up in front of a group, it's different to one-on-one, isn't it? Way different. Vastly different. Because maybe you've had experiences where you have 
people that you're coaching and they're, they're brilliant one-on-one. But then when it comes to a group, they're like, all the limiting beliefs come up, their stories. And how do you get them past that? How do you get coaches past that? Yeah. Yeah, well, you just, you've got to look at it as different things. If you can coach one person, you can coach a group. But the thing that a lot of coaches fear is like, if I stuff up this answer, what happens if I don't know what to say next? What happens if a client's having a breakdown and people start reacting, right? There's all these kinds of stories that come up. Public speaking can be really scary. And that's what I always remind my coaches that it's like, if you can coach one person, you can coach a group. But like, how do we facilitate? How do we make sure we're seeing the energy of the group? How are you reading the group? And this is why emotional intelligence is so important. Because when we understand our emotions and go, okay, what am I feeling in the room? I'm always watching the energy. I'm watching to see how long the segment is going to go for when we're facilitating. Are we talking about deep stuff? Is this going to be really heavy? Do we need to make the next segment lighter for them so that they can actually make sure that they, we don't overwhelm them and bombard their nervous system? Right? These are all things we need to take into account. What is each module going to bring up for the client? Know what is going to happen, right? So if I'm doing that with one person and I go, just say I created a six-week program for you, I'm not going to give you oh, six weeks of smashing you. I'm going to pace you. I'm going to make sure I give you one week that's heavier, one week that's a little bit lighter, depending on where you're at with yourself in the journey. And it's the same thing. If I've got four days to work with you in an in a intense setting, I'm not going to just throw you in the deep end on the first day. I'm not going to go, let's deal into your healing, trauma, all your fears on the first day. No, I'm going to build rapport on the first day. I'm going to build connection. I'm going to share about my own stuff that I've gone through because when I build connection with you and I build rapport, you're getting to trust me. You're going, oh shit, he's just like me. There's a similarity here. Oh, I, can, I can trust this guy. He's not acting like he's perfect. And when I build rapport, the first thing I do is like, I'm sharing about my own vulnerabilities, my own pains that I've gone through. I'm not going, I'm up here and you're down here. I'm going, look, we're here, we're equal. Mm -hmm. And then I can, after I built rapport and connection, then I can go into some deeper stuff with you. Mm. So when you coach people on their inner child. When? I know in your program you have a module where you coach yeah. them on their inner child. Yeah. Why is that? Why does that have a relevance to coaching? Inner child work is the most profound work we can do because everything comes from how we were raised as children. How did you receive love as a child? When you were loud, how did you receive love from your mom and dad? Huh? When I was loud. Yeah. When I was loud. Yeah. It's so funny because you're like, I was never loud. <laughs> um, well, my, well, most parents, like, my parents would tell me to be quiet, stop talking too much. My dad does, my dad even, that's another thing that triggers me. My dad <laughs> does it now with his kid. He had a kid when he was 52. So yeah. he's seven years old now. Yeah. And, like, he, he rev regularly says, like, oh, you stop talking so much. Or, like, yeah. he's still doing it. And I don't speak up because I'm like, I'm not, who am I to tell my father how to parent his but child? But do you recognize you receive love from being quiet? So what do you do? Don't say anything. Be a good boy. That's how I receive love from my father. Kind of. Well, if it wasn't, you'd be encouraged to speak up more. 
Yeah. But your dad said what? Stop talking. Yeah. So your brain goes, oh, shit, don't talk too much because he won't approve or he doesn't like that. I don't want to, I want him to love me. I want my dad to approve of me. Mm. So what do you do? I'll be a good boy. I'll be quiet. I won't say much. Yeah, and, and then all, the, all his friends will be like, oh, your kids are so well behaved, they don't really say much. Yeah, so is it kind of or is that really happening? Well, I, as you're talking about it, I'm just remembering stuff. Yeah, and then one of the things were another thing was he was like, "Oh, you uh, you're not talking to adults, like you're you're not you're not talking to adults. You you know you're 16 years old. You should be able to have a conversation with an adult." Mm. And so I was basically kind of I felt like I was being forced to grow up. Fast. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you've been really good, you've been really quiet, good boy. Look at my kid, he's a really good boy, right? And you hear that and you go, "Yes, I'm a really good boy. Look, I'm worthy of being loved." Because I'm quiet. And then all of a sudden, switch. You should go and speak to people. You should speak to the adults. You're like, I've never been trained how to speak to adults. I've always been the good boy that's been quiet. So how did you do that? Um, I just, well, I had an epiphany once. And I realized that adults are just like me. Mm. But just they're just older. Because I had a disassociation with adults. I thought they were just like aliens almost they're like completely different to me like they, they have all their shit figured out but then when I started talking to them and um, one lady she she was like oh that was it on Sunday night at my house she said oh I've got to go to work tomorrow and I, and I asked her why do you need to go to work and then she gave me all these bullshit excuses and I was just like what I thought you I thought you had all your shit figured out like I thought adults had everything together yeah and then I just asked her a question. I was like, why are, you going, why are you going to work if you don't want to go to work? And I asked my dad this too. And he's like, oh, you know, we all have to go to work. It's just like, why am I putting these people on a pedestal? You know? And that's when I started being, being comfortable with talking to them more. But do you recognize also, it's interesting you said putting people on a pedestal, right? So you put people that are older than me on a pedestal. They must know more. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. not as smart as them. Yes. So I'll keep asking them questions. Did your dad, you, I'm, I'm just throwing an assumption out there based on a pattern that I'm hearing. Did your father, was he always telling you what to do? Don't do it like that, do it like that. Kind of, yeah. When, when, yeah, kind of, yeah. Did he let you do things and when you did do things, did he criticise? Yeah, so I have a really bad relationship with failure. Yeah. Because I was raised like... I got to do this perfect, mm. especially in football. Like, with football, it was just like, if I made a mistake, I remember one time I made a big mistake and they scored. And he was like, Aaron! Like on the side, I was like, oh, fuck, I fucked up, I fucking fucked, fucked up. And in the car on the way back, like if I made a mistake in the game, he'd like be fucking gunning me down for my mistakes. Criticize. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, man, I can't fuck up. Yeah, so He's coming to my games. Fuck, I can't make a mistake. So then what's the pressure you would put on yourself? I got to perform. I got to get it right. Got to get it perfect. Yeah. Because if I don't get it perfect, what do I get? I get, I get, I don't get acceptance. I get a heck of an earful. Yeah. Yeah, it gives me an earful. I get beaten up. And yeah. then what do I do to myself now? Because I've learned it from him. I start to beat myself up more. Yeah, beat myself up, 100%. Fuck, I shouldn't have done that. Fuck, like, that's mad at me. Like, fuck, why did I do that? I'm such an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. 
that is a recipe for disaster. That is that is the recipe for low self-esteem. Yes. So when you're constantly like, I need to, I need to perform for someone else to get his approval or love, you're never ever going to get it. Mm. And I guarantee his father did the same to him. It's a learned behavior. Yeah. So us as men, we need to break that. Yeah. My my, my dad's dad. Yeah. He was always my grandfather was like, do the right thing. And it's African accent. Make sure you do the right thing. And so that, just in that statement, it's like, if you're not doing the right thing, you fuck it up. And that's not acceptable because you should do the right thing. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. We all carry these patterns. It's ancestral, right? Mm. Generational. Yeah. So we've got to break the pattern, right? Yeah. But first to to break a pattern, we have to be aware that we're in the pattern. Mm. Oh, what's my pattern? Oh, this is a, pattern that I've had for so long where did it come from even as we talk tonight and I asked you this question I guarantee that was the first time you heard it because you were like wait what when I said to you um were you told to be quiet as a child that's how you receive love you're like no not really oh yeah and then his friends were like yeah he's such a good boy like you were trained to be quiet and I know this Aaron because I was trained to be quiet I was trained to be seen but not heard Oh, yeah. Yep. So what did I do as a child? Yep. Don't speak up. Don't talk too much. And when people do talk, or even if I meet people now that are loud or like very out there, I'm like, oh, shut up. You're, you're annoying me. Because I was domesticated. I was trained by my parents, not necessarily my mother, but my father. I was trained that if you want to receive love, you don't speak up or you don't talk out of place. Mm. Mm. But they don't, they don't know that they're doing that. Cause no, it's just, that's just the way they're raised. It's just the way they're raised. It's like it's a good boy. But that's like, what kids are supposed to do. Yeah. They're supposed to be seen and not heard. Mummy mm. and daddy are talking. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but even as I see children today, I'm like, oh my God, that would never be my child. But I'm also like, you can discipline your child and you can communicate to your child, but without shaming them or making them wrong. Mm. And you can be like, hey, uh, give me a second. I'll, I'll be with you in a second and acknowledge them. Yeah. Versus, hey, I'm talking, right? And I, being dismissed, right? Because that's not healthy either. Mm. These are all things that affect how we see ourselves and how we treat ourselves. And this is why I'm saying we get domesticated. And this is how I was raised by my dad. So this is how I show up now in relationship. Mm. And it's repeating. Yeah. But how does that help with the coach who's facilitating a group? If they know they're in a child, how does that help them? Yeah, so we digressed a bit, but when, when a coach understands how they're, if they've healed their inner child or what their blocks are, or what their triggers are, it's going to help them effectively coach deeper with their clients, with the group. Because what happens in a group setting? What happens when everybody starts talking about their, their child, their children, their past? It's going to bring up things, it's going to trigger things. When you, when you shared your story at Elevate, about how you express love to your father. You know how many people are triggered in the crowd? So many people, because they're listening and they're like, oh my God, that happens to me. As I share my story, you're like, oh my God, that was me too. As Will Smith shared his story, you're like, I can relate to that so much. My dad used to beat my mum. Or talked about, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he just slapped me on the butt with a slipper. <laughs> yeah, but do you see like through that, that relation in the story, Right? When you're doing inner child work with a group, it's going to bring up 
trauma, it's going to bring up emotions, it's going to bring up fears, it's going to bring up things that people haven't dealt with before. But when you do deal with it effectively, and you obviously know how to hold space for the group, and you're grounded in your own energy, it doesn't matter how much stuff is coming out of them. You saw at our events when I'm coaching people and they're having full breakdowns. Remember we did the allowing exercise and people were like full shaking, like, oh my God, I'm going to have to like full let go right now. And I had to stand with people and allow them to full break down. It's a process. It moves. Yeah, that was fucking, that was so wild, man. <laughs> like we did this exercise where you had to, they had to think of, we had to think of an emotional time in our life, right? And just allow yeah. all the emotions up that we felt. Yeah, and I, I was having a hard time feeling emotions just because I'm not I've been uh, numbing myself for so long mm. like most of society they don't know how to feel yeah. right? and I was that that guy I was like I can't feel like sad I can't feel anger yeah. but then some people a lot of the women were just like really emoting full shaking, shaking crying and I, I actually felt like something was wrong with me in that moment like why can't I feel yeah. why can't I feel these emotions you haven't allowed yourself to feel them. Yeah. Right? And that's the problem. I used to not allow myself to express anger, feel it. The reason why I know it so well and I know your pattern so well is because that was me. Mm. I was exactly the same, bro. Mm. Why do you think I'm an emotional intelligence coach? Because I was shit with my emotions. Mm. I would blow up at people and be like, that's it. We're not even friends anymore. See ya. <laughs> You're right? And then I used to think that that was strong. Yeah. That I was protecting myself. Mm. But I was actually, it's weak. And at the end of the day, it's, it's not empowering, mm. right? You're just avoiding and putting walls up. But when you put a wall up and the difference between a wall and a boundary is different. A boundary goes to here. I can still see you and have a conversation with you. A wall goes like this. I don't hear nothing, whatever. You're disappearing. Get lost. Mm. There's a difference. And, and the walls are just there to... It's funny because, of course, we want to move away from pain. Yeah. Every human does. So what the pattern is, is um, I was sharing this with a girl and I was like, maybe I should be a relationship coach, but I don't want to be. But she basically got hurt by her, this guy. And then she was like, all right, I'm not getting any more guys now. I'm not letting any other guys in. And I was like, well, that, that's, that's going to guarantee that you don't ever get intimacy with another person. Yeah. Because you're so scared of getting hurt. Yeah. So, so scared of getting hurt. But it's the same thing with money too. It's the yeah. same. Like in Rich Dad Poor Dad, he talks about there's no rich person that's never lost money. It's impossible. Yeah. So you have to risk getting hurt or risk losing money to, to get what you want ultimately. Money ultimately is a game, the same thing. Yeah. When we talk about crypto, right? Yeah. I'm like, if I'm okay with winning a lot of money, I have to be okay with losing a lot of money. Mm. I can't just be like, oh, I'm good when this money goes and I get the money and it goes up, but then I'm shit and my emotions go down. I'm like, yeah. you have to make your rules. Mm. You have to understand what are my rules for this. Mm. Otherwise, you literally will drive yourself insane. Yeah. And that's like linking self-esteem to money, isn't it? Like money. I used to do that. Self-worth. Money's up. I'm feeling great. Money's down. Oh, fuck. I'm such a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's the real feeling of, of myself was I feel like I'm worthless. You know, like the money's down. That means I, that reflects on my character. Yeah. But obviously that's not true, but that's how I felt. I reckon so many of us do that though. Yeah. As and well. You, and then you hang out with people that make more money and you feel even more less than because they're making more than you. So you, because you're attaching your self worth to that. So they must be worth more. You know? Or they must be better than they you. They must be better. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah. but it's not true. Yeah. I mean, it's such a thing we, we compare. We compare to see if we are superior or inferior based on what we're comparing. Yeah. If this person that I'm comparing myself to is making more money than me, then my ego takes a hit and go, oh, I'm not as good as them. And then I look for all the reasons why I'm not as good as them. But if I compare myself to someone that I'm doing better than and I'm earning more money than I'm at and I have better status, then my ego kicks in and goes, huh, look at me, I'm way better. I'm fine. I'm doing better than them. It's ego sneaky, bro. And it comes in and it's very stinky. It talks very softly in the back of your ear. And this is where we have to catch the ego. And the ego is not a good or bad thing. Everyone thinks the ego is bad, but it's like it's there to protect us. But you have to recognize when the ego is using you or you're using it. Mm, absolutely. And yeah, the comparison thing, we can talk about that for ages, but we've been going here for about an hour and 40 yeah, minutes. Yeah, so it has been, yeah. We're going to do a part two, I guess. This is, this is cool if you're, if you're open to it. I'm open, bro. Yeah, because um, I think the reaction from this video, people will get a lot of value out of it, even if they're not a coach, you know? Yeah, we talked about it a lot. Yeah. So talked about life i feel like this is this is the stuff that is the most important in life i think yeah because otherwise you're just running up the mountain with what's it running up the wrong mountain was it running climbing the ladder against the wrong wall mm. if you don't know this stuff and there's a lot of people probably listening who have done that and they can relate on a deeper level because they've experienced it yeah like fuck i just got to the top of this mountain and that's the mountain i wanted to climb not this one mm. fuck just wasted like five years they didn't waste it but you know, nothing's wasted, I don't think. If you keep repeating it, it's wasting it. Mm. If you repeat it more than twice, it's a waste. Right, <laughs> true, true. Yeah, so do you have any last words to share with anyone? No, I think, if anything, stay true to you. Understand who you are, what your values are and know your why. And that will save you a lot of time. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for All right. It. We'll see you in the next one.